So this morning, uh, we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 9, and we will be covering uh, the last um, half, really, of this, of this chapter. The title of this morning's message is A Compassion Beyond Today. A Compassion Beyond Today. All right, so... <clears throat> One of the things that we see, we will see this morning is how it is that Jesus uh, raises uh, a little girl from the dead. He, uh, he heals a woman that had had a flow of blood for 12 years. He heals two blind men and gives them sight. He also heals a mute man, someone who had been mute, uh, was unable to speak, and he was able to speak once God Jesus touched him, he was able to speak. We see all that this morning, but the one thing that we come to at the final portion, in the final portion of this chapter, is the compassion of Jesus toward those who um, are lost, are wandering, and are sheep without a shepherd. And that's really what it comes down to. Because as we take a look at all those things that the Lord did, you know, healing, making the blind to see, the mute to speak. Is this really what Jesus came to do? Was it his mission to heal as many people as possible in the short amount of time that he was here on earth? And in a way, the answer is yes. But it was a physical example of a spiritual reality. Many are sick and are in need of a physician, as what he had just previously said Earlier in this chapter, it was in verse 12 that Jesus had told the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And so that was logical. That was understandable. I, we get it. Definitely. If you're sick, you go to a physician to be made well. But in verse 13, Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so this was something that the religious leaders of the time was given as homework to fully really grasp and understand what Jesus had spoken of here, that he desired mercy and not sacrifice. Well, we're going to see that this morning, how it is that one in particular was asking for mercy. After this, after what was spoken there with the Pharisees and the exchange that they had there, we see how it is that Jesus healed several people. And then he goes throughout the land, throughout the area, teaching and proclaiming the gospel to all. Healing every disease and every affliction. And at the end of this chapter, again, we're brought to a place to where Jesus is desiring to get our attention. That the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. And that's closing this chapter in verse 38. The reason we have the miracles before us, the reason why miracles are set out throughout the Gospels, is that it would lead us, those miracles, those examples of God's power, would lead us to believe in Jesus Christ. In believing that he is who he said he was. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, 
It is written, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the, in the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So there's a purpose. There's a reason. It's not just, okay, we want to make all kinds of people well, and that's, that's awesome. That speaks of God's fame and his power. It had a deeper meaning. The reason why these are all recorded in the Bible was that we would come to a place to where we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Those verses there in in John, we have to allow them, and I am in hope of that we receive them as personal though. Not just something we read, not something that we... Uh, look at from a distance in Scripture. It's happened many years ago, 2,000 years ago, but something that we receive is personal. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Because God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, of course, you know, if you sit here for any period of time, you know, come Sunday after Sunday and you hear how good God is and how it is that he extended his grace and his mercy toward all mankind through Jesus Christ, that at some point you realize for yourself personally, this isn't a a lesson in the history of mankind. This is actually a place where we come to hear from God and to see and know and come to realize His grace and His love for you personally and to respond to it. That's really the place where we're at this morning. Sometimes we're responding to those things in a manner that isn't like that which was demonstrated to us. And so we come this morning also not just for the sake of salvation for those who have not come to realize it in Jesus Christ, but also to a place to where if we're, if we're in a bad place responding to the Lord in a way that doesn't reflect His love, that we do come to a place of repenting and returning to that path to where we are blessing Him. So all of this starts with a question from one of the disciples of John the Baptist about fasting. And Jesus answers simply, but with great depth and insight as to what is to come. He answers their question, but with a lot more to it. And it leads into these healings and a word to pray for people to serve in the work of the harvesting of souls. And God's heart is lost, is, 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 is for the lost, is desiring that the lost and wandering souls would be led and allow Him to lead. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the True Shepherd. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our text. Father, we are truly thankful, Lord, for Your compassion and Your longing to see each and every one of us not only saved, but walking closely and intimately with You. And I pray this morning, Lord, that You would help us to put away any distractions, anything that would keep our attention from from You, And Lord, that our ears would be bent toward you to hear and to listen to what you have to say to us. Father, may it be a source of encouragement. May you, uh, Lord, just um, do a mighty work this morning, Father, in our lives and uh, 
And Lord, may you be glorified. And so, Father, we commit this morning into your hands and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a look at the first portion here, uh, starting in verse 14. Then the disciples of John, that is John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin burst, skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So this is actually overall a new covenant to receive. It's really what the Lord brings us to. But it seems kind of an odd answer to a pretty straightforward question that the disciples of John the Baptist asked Jesus. They had a question that leads to an answer that is very reasonable for the present time but also leads to this answer that Jesus gives to them to lead them to understand for what is to come. Jesus departing and the new covenant introduced. The disciples of John the Baptist had noticed that the disciples of Jesus didn't do those things which the Pharisees and the religious leaders and even them, the disciples of John the Baptist, the ones who were following him, uh, would participate in fasting. And so they came to Jesus and they asked him, hey, why don't your disciples fast? There are many reasons to fast as there are today. It could be for major decisions that you need to make. could be for something that you're battling with. Uh, some type of temptation or something that has really got a hold on you. You can fast. It's a time of humility, and it's amazing. And I'm not talking about, you, you don't need to, a fast doesn't necessarily mean you have to go on for seven days or 14 or 40 days. Sometimes it's just a one-day fast, a two-day fast, a three-day, something short-term to where it just allows you to come before the Lord and seek Him. And so it was common then, just as it should be today. By the way, Jesus never abolished fasting. In fact, he encouraged it. Some things can only be solved by prayer and fasting. And so Jesus answered these men. And you can say that he answered their question somewhat in a cryptic way. Unless you really dug deep, you wouldn't really get it. This was an answer that would make sense to them looking back at this day in which he answered this question. Looking back from his death, his burial, and his resurrection, or at some point when they really understood who Jesus was. One, Jesus is relating fasting to mourning. Jesus was referring to himself as the bridegroom and the wedding guests as his disciples. He made that abundantly clear when he was answering the disciples of John the Baptist. This is basically what he was implying. 
He was saying, hey, listen, the bridegroom is on scene right now. And you can say, my guests are with me. They are my disciples. And Jesus was saying very clearly that he would be departing shortly, but they would remain. And that, by the way, is when they will fast. And so Jesus, Jesus referred to his death, but a bit more. He's, he was also referring to his departure. Secondly, Jesus gives the illustration of putting a new unshrunk patch on an old garment that has already been shrunk. You guys remember the, I think we still have them, the old 501 jeans, Levi's, uh, the, the ones that are not pre-shrunk. Um, I, I, I remember wearing those. I believe it was in, in um, uh, middle school or junior high that uh, they were, became really popular, those in Vans, OPs. You guys remember this? Yeah? Some of you are like, wow. No. <laughs> and, I mean, I, you, you would look at a garment like that, and you would think, well, you made a hole in old jeans, and then you grab some a new piece of cloth, you know, a new piece of a new jean, and put it on there to patch it. Well, what would happen is that that new portion would shrink and it would actually tear the old. And so it was logical, right? We understand. You, you don't put uh, a, a new patch on an old piece of clothing because it'll make it worse than what it was before, right? It was logical. So he answered that. You're, you're getting it. You're going to follow along here. You're going to follow along in that this is still a cryptic answer. You know, as Jesus gave them this answer, at this point, it was like, okay, Jesus, I, I get it. That makes sense, right, for what you're referring to. But then he continues on. He says, number three, basically, new wine expands during the fermentation process, and it needs new wineskins that are pliable. They're moldable. They'll expand and then contract along with the process of fermentation. But an old wineskin is already formed and it becomes brittle. And so it'll hold the old wine, but it, it, can't, it can't take the new wine being put in or grape juice at the time, allowing it to go through the process. And again... If you're following along, if you're getting this answer, of course, the disciples of John the Baptist are, are saying, yes, that, that makes sense too, Jesus. We're not too sure how it applies to the question that we just asked. We just asked about fasting. You're talking about patches, sewing, and, and then also about wineskins. Jesus was answering with much more than what they were asking. And I believe that Jesus does that very thing with us today. It's amazing sometimes we ask the Lord a question. We have these thoughts in our mind, and He knows the thoughts that we have in our minds and our hearts. And, and He answers those questions with, what, with much more than what we had anticipated if we pay attention. Jesus is answering by telling the disciples of John the Baptist that there will come a day when my disciples will not have me in their presence physically. They will then mourn or long for when they see me again and they will fast. That will be the time when they are able to fast or be the right time. 
would be appropriate, very fitting. Longing for that day. Again, I believe Jesus, he, he still does the same thing today. We ask a question and it will take us much deeper. Again, if we just pay attention to how it is that he's answering us. I've heard it said that sometimes the Lord doesn't answer prayers. I believe he always answers prayers. It's just not always in the way that we are expecting him to answer them. Because sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait. And other times it's just a simple yes. Right? But he does answer our prayers. What Jesus was doing here is he was introducing the new covenant. He was giving an explanation again looking forward and understanding what he came to do. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, it says, For this is my blood of the, new, of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The new covenant is a new relationship between God and man that is mediated by Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. And it includes, by the way, both Jews and Gentiles and is known upon one's belief and declaration that Jesus is the Son of God who died, resurrected, and today lives, sitting at the right hand of the Father and interceding on behalf of you and I. And so Jesus came to introduce something entirely new. Not to patch up the old or make it better, but Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament and introduce that which is better. Salvation to all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he desired mercy over sacrifices. And he came to demonstrate that, to live a life that exemplified it. And more so for us to know personally his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But for now, Jesus again was giving the disciples more than they were asking for, and it was to serve them at a later time. Have you ever thought of things in the like on down the road? And then you look back at a situation and you think about the time that you were praying about it. And it all comes together. You're like, oh, wow. I would have never guessed that the Lord would have answered my prayer in that manner. I know I have. How many situations have been like that for you? Let's take a look at the miracles here. Miracles to believe. A new covenant to receive and then miracles to receive. Verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And we'll stop there for a moment. This was a man that believed that Jesus could raise his daughter from the dead. She had died. He had come to Jesus and asked that Jesus would come to his house and just touch his daughter and she would be made alive. Well, completely. He believed this. But notice with me one thing that is very important for us to see. Because before he asked him to do this, and this was a ruler of the people, he knelt. He knelt in worship of Jesus. And please notice also that Jesus did not say, stand up for I'm a man just like you. When angels, when this happened with John and he fell down on his face before angels, he was told, get up. 
you worship God only. I am an angel. You don't worship me. We don't worship angels. Before a man, get up. I'm a man just like you. But Jesus didn't do that. He received the worship. That, by the way, if others were to see that, were to to have been considered blasphemy. For he was receiving that which should only have been received by God. And he received it because he was God and is God. We know that the centurion in chapter 8, and we covered this, he had actually said, and I, I, I read this, and I thought, nah, I don't know about that. Um, remember that commentators are just commentators. It's not, it's not Holy Scripture, all right? And so we have these commentators that say, well, the centurion of chapter 8 had more faith because he just told Jesus, you can speak the word. You don't have to go. Just speak the word, and, and we know that my servant will be made well. Right, And then this one didn't have that much faith because he felt like Jesus had to go and had to touch his daughter in order to bring her back from being dead. I believe that the centurion, knowing what he knew, the authority that he had with men, and he explained it very well, he said, hey, knowing what I know, you can just say the word and it's done. For this man is more of something practical, hands-on. He didn't, he didn't have the experience that the centurion did. I believe he exercised the same faith. He was just asking Jesus to come, touch his daughter. That in and of itself required a lot of faith, right? To have Jesus brought. And that is exactly what's being brought to the surface right now is God's response to man's faith. That's what we see. Because then we continue, verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Let's stop there for a moment. So here's another situation. He's on his way to this man's home. And along the way, this woman, who has had a discharge of blood for 12 years, thought to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. This is what happened on the way. And so there's this little pause. I want you to make note. We're not going to go to it, but in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, Jot that down in also Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. Now, Mark and Luke give a very detailed account of this very situation that we're talking about. But Matthew's account is shorter. You remember who Matthew was? He was, a, he was an accountant. It was like, when you're an accountant, you're dealing with numbers. It's like, give me the bottom line. I want, want the facts. I want how did we come to this? And so we're given that, right? And that's what we have, but it's for a reason. Now, Luke and Mark, it's the word of God. And so we're given more detail for a reason in those gospels. For us before us this morning, it's the reason is what I just told you. It's so that we would understand God's response to faith. That's what we need to see this morning. God's response to faith. 
And she had said what she said. And then Jesus responds with great compassion. And he responded to the faith of this woman who believed that she could be healed if she just touched the garment, the hem of his garment. The the woman was considered to be unclean, having a discharge of blood and would be treated as an outcast in society. There were shame and embarrassment on her part. The, the, The thing that she most wanted to avoid is for this to go public. You know, she wanted to go in, touch the hem of his garment and be out. That's all she wanted. Now, it's funny because the woman was ignorant to believe that the healing would come by way of simply touching Jesus' garment, like as if his clothing had some kind of magical power. But here's the thing. Even in that ignorance, there is enough faith for her to receive the healing from her disease that she had experienced for 12 years. It was enough. She believed But also understand this, that Jesus turned around. He responded publicly. He wanted to make it very clear. Hey, it wasn't the touching of my garment. It wasn't this that made you well. It wasn't that act. It was your faith that made you well. It was your faith. And so he didn't allow this to to remain in secret. It was brought in the open. And it was a demonstration to everyone around. I understand she was ill. She had this disease and it was going on for 12 years, but now she is well. And all of those who knew what was going on with her would know that she was healed at that very moment. And it was because of her faith. Verse 23, let's continue on this, this journey that Jesus was on. Verse 23 says, and when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Finally, Jesus arrives at the house of this ruler in whose home was his daughter that had died. And there was mourning, much mourning, professional mourners outside and inside, all throughout the house, family. And professional mourners? Yeah, professional mourners. People who were actually hired to cry and moan and and wail. Actually hired to do that. And it's very fitting in the day and age in which... Jesus lived and walked the earth. That, that's what they did in order to show respect for um, their loved one that had died. These were definitely not sincere mourners as they quickly went from mourning to mocking or sneering at Jesus for saying that the girl was not dead but only sleeping. The, the girl is not dead but only sleeping. Well, they were wailing one moment and mocking him the next. What we see here is that Jesus was definitely not deterred from the work that he had before him. He went there to heal the girl. And they were mocking him and sneering at him. And that did not move him. He continued on. And as soon as the house was cleared, as soon as everyone was out of the house, he went into the home, took her by the hand, and she rose from the dead. 
and she was well. We also need to understand that Jesus didn't then, and he doesn't today, raise every son and daughter from the dead. This was a, a demonstration, a, a, an example of an act of mercy and compassion because there was a greater death that he desired then to conquer as he desires today to conquer, to deliver everyone from. But it re- would require his own death and resurrection. And so we have that going on. But we have more as we continue on. Verse 27 says, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on a son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. A couple of rebellious guys, right? They did it anyway. Anyway. But Jesus gives sight to these two blind men. Uh, the blind men, we need to note here that they were following Jesus. And even though they said... They called out to Jesus. They called out to him as the son of David. They were asked by Jesus if they believed that Jesus was able to do this. I know know what you called me. I know what you basically confessed in that moment. But do you believe that I can do this? And the question is, to do what? If you notice, had they asked Jesus to do anything specific with them? And the answer is no, right? We don't, we don't see it. We don't have it before us. Their only appeal is that Jesus would have mercy on them. Remember the first guy, the ruler. He fell onto his knees before Jesus and worshipped him. Now we have a couple of guys that recognize him as the Messiah and ask that they would receive mercy from Jesus, the Messiah. This was a demonstration of humility. They weren't demanding as if they had a right to it, but approached Jesus with humility, asking for it. Um, The Lord, we don't have any right to demand anything of Him. Nothing. The only thing that we deserve is condemnation, eternal separation from Him because of the sin that we're in, if we're not in Christ. But he saves us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And he gives us promises. But this life isn't um, something that we, we deserve, like everything has to go smooth. There's no illness. There's no... It's just smooth sailing. He doesn't promise that. But sometimes I hear within the church how it is that we... You know that whole name it and claim it thing? Yeah. It, it's, some, it's very dangerous to get to that place. To where if you just name it and claim it, you shall receive it, right? And it's like, well, the Lord doesn't promise that. And in fact, he, he promises us that we will experience tribulation in this life. But take heart, for Jesus has overcome, right? 
But what we see here is not a demand, but a heart of humility between these two men that are blind. They can't see. And they're appealing to Jesus for his mercy. That's what they're asking for. And what does he do? It's all yours. I, they believe, right? They said, yes, Lord. And he reaches out and touches them. And they're healed of their blindness. Jesus was matching their confession with their belief. They confessed Jesus was the Messiah, but then he asked them if they believed what they said. And we're asked of that many different times. Initially, it comes like this. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus came? He's the only way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through Him. Do you believe who He claims to be? And the answer initially would be hopefully, yes, we believe. Right? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart then that God raised Him from the dead, you shall, be see, uh, you shall be saved. Those two need to come together. The, the confession and the believing needs to come together, and it has to be genuine. It has to be sincere. And then James, as you read through the whole counsel of God, James says that faith without works is dead. That our faith demonstrates, our, work, our works demonstrate the fact that we have faith in Jesus Christ. And we follow him in, in, in obedience. So their response matched. Yes, Lord. Jesus touched their eyes and they received their sight according to their faith. And Jesus warned them not to say anything. But they did. They did. It was not Jesus' time. But at the same time, God's perfect will was still worked out. Verse 32 As they were going away, behold, a, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Leave it to the Pharisees, right? These were the religious leaders. Jesus makes the mute man speak. The reason this man that were given could not speak is because he was demon possessed. Jesus had no problem in casting out this demon. It, it was believed by the religious leaders of the time that the only way that you could really cast out a demon is if you would come to know the name of that particular demon. And well, if the demon possessed man was not able to speak, well, all hope was lost. Uh, the person would remain in that state for the remainder of their lives. Well, remember who Jesus is. He knows. He didn't have any problem casting this demon out of this man. And he was able to speak. The Pharisees just couldn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And they spread this false information saying that Jesus cast out demons by the prince of demons. But everyone else marveled. They were in absolute awe. They were in amazement. And here were the Pharisees saying, nah, it was, he's casting out demons by the prince of demons. It's a demonic spirit that he's doing it through. 
You see, one way or another, the devil's goal is to make us mute and not speak of who Jesus is and speak how he can make others well. Think about that. You know. You can know and even believe. But if you remain mute, if you remain silent of who Jesus is and how others can know salvation in him, then can I say something just very logical? The devil is actually doing the very thing in your life that he desires to do. You may know him personally, but we're failing to do one thing, just one thing that the Lord had told us to do in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. What do you tell us to do in that that one verse? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How can you do that if you yourself aren't matching your life with your words and speaking and you're left mute and unable to speak? Yeah, no demon can oppress that person who is possessed by the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. But he can always wreak havoc on us and cause us to remain silent if you allow him to. Have the boldness that's necessary to tell others about Jesus Christ. Let them know where they too can find salvation. Because just remember that even all of these, and that's why I didn't spend a lot of time with any one of these miracles, because all of these miracles were there for a reason to bring us to that this final portion. All of these miracles demonstrated the power of God but so that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing they would have eternal life. And so you should not remain mute. The world wants you to stay mute, silent. Shut up. You are offending many people. Well, let me tell you that the gospel itself is offensive. It's clearly stated. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Very clear, right? It's offensive. Don't worry about it. God accomplishes what he intends to accomplish through the proclamation of his word. It doesn't come back void. Finally, a harvest to achieve. Verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. A harvest to achieve or fulfill or to partner up with being people who are responding to what the Lord is telling us. There was nothing that was stopping Jesus from doing what he was sent to do. He should serve as the prime and excellent and perfect example for us. Nothing was stopping him. He would continue to move forward and accomplish that which the Father sent him to accomplish. He went about teaching and preaching and healing, but we see here that Jesus' heart was filled with compassion and told his disciples something that was to be done after he was no longer with them. 
Because these people were seen as lost, as wandering, as people without a shepherd. And Jesus told His disciples, they are ready for the harvest. It's it's white. The harvest is ready, but the laborers are a few. Pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest would, would call out and send out more laborers that would bring in the harvest. It's, it's there. The work is difficult. If you would ask any farmer about what it takes to, to prepare the soil and, and to sow the seed and to tend to the seed and to water it and then to see it grow and, and go out there and make sure that it's, it's growing right. Doing all, it, it's, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of patience. There's a lot of faith that goes into that. But what if it all comes up and the farmer says, that is beautiful out there. And at the point to where it's supposed to be harvested, the farmer just said, wow, that was, that was beautiful work. Look at him. Look at the fields and just left it all. What, what would happen is, as they do sometimes um, in central California, and it's for specific reasons, they allow the corn to just go down. And it's for a specific purpose, but it dies and it rots. It just sits there. No, the Lord says, listen, the, the fields are white, they're ready. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers to go out and do the work. Because these people are lost and wandering without a shepherd. They're lost without the good shepherd. Even though Jesus was healing every disease and every affliction, he still saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. These people were harassed and helpless. This is how they were described by the Lord and lost. The healing of many diseases and life pains did not satisfy that which was absolutely critical and necessary. Because they may have eyes to see man now, but still did not have eyes of hope to see God now and for eternity. They may have a mouth that speaks to man now, but still did not have a mouth that speaks to God and with God. Because it's not like Jesus did not know that even his physical healings would be temporal. They were temporary. Harvest a body and at some point it will reach the end. In other words, you know even what doctors do. Physicians, they heal the body but they can't heal the soul. They can prolong the inevitable. They can even put us on machines and prolong and give us medications and prolong that which they cannot avoid. That is death. But heal and harvest a soul by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and a soul has just been saved from hell, an eternal conscious pain and torment. Isn't that worth it? That's what Jesus saw as he saw all these people. That's what he longed for. He had this heart of compassion toward all mankind. Have compassion as he does. Be a soul winner. Have compassion that sees beyond today. Beyond the temporal. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We indeed need to pray that God would send out more laborers into the harvest. Don't let anything distract you or take you off into another direction. Don't let anything keep you mute, silent. Don't let anything like that hold you back. Again, Jesus is our example. He led the way and he still leads the way. And by His Spirit, we can continue to move forward and see the Lord glorified in our lives and see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ just like you. I had a friend of mine do it for me. I've had friends encourage me to walk with the Lord. You could be that person to someone else. Not just encouraging them to walk with the Lord today, but others to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a process. It's hard work but it is worth it and we are called to do it, to respond to the great commission that we see in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Because blind men are still out there and if you were blind but now see, dead but made alive, then I pray you are compelled by the Lord to forsake all other paths and directions and follow Christ. Be unafraid of mockery and shame in the name of Jesus. Truly recognize Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and humbly seek Jesus for mercy and grace to serve Him even, to serve Him. They had faith to believe Jesus was able to heal them. If you're here this morning and you're in that place to where you, ha- you haven't been healed by the Lord, in that, first and foremost, I'm not talking physical. I'm talking spiritually. You're still in your sin. You're dead in your trespasses. I pray that this morning, today, would be the day of salvation. That you don't put off for tomorrow what could be done today. And that is by responding just as these two blind men responded. Do you believe that I can do this thing? Do you believe that God can save you by grace through your faith in Jesus Christ? that He is the Son of God. And I pray that you would respond this morning. Yes, Lord, I do. I do. And you would simply come to the Lord confessing to Him, asking Him for forgiveness, and asking Him to be Lord of your life. And I also pray for us that have been walking with the Lord to be those labors that many people have been praying for, that you would respond and participate in the work that the Lord has for us to go out as we are commissioned and make disciples of all nations, seeing people come to faith through you. God desires to do that. Tell people about Jesus Christ and see what he does in the midst. You're not going to convince someone. Don't convince someone. Let the Lord convince them. Allow the Lord to do His work through you. And I pray that He would do a mighty work through you. Father, we thank You, Lord, once more for this time. Lord, I pray that we would have a compassion beyond today. That, Lord, yes, we pray, Father, that You would give us strength, that You would give us the ability to see beyond our own current circumstances, in that we would have more compassion for others 
Lord, who perhaps do not know you as Lord and Savior. And I do pray for anyone who's here that has not come to that place to where they have surrendered their lives to to you, that they have not come to a place of professing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. That, Lord, today, Lord, that there would be a response to the love that you have demonstrated to all of us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I pray, Lord, for the church, that we would respond also to this call for laborers to go out into the harvest and to simply proclaim the gospel and see you work through us. And so, Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you for this day. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.